name is Andrew. I have the privilege of delivering the message today. The topic is spiritual warfare. The sermon is titled Fighting the Darkness. It is a message that given the time would be exhaustive in study. We could spend a lot of time on this topic. It's my hope and my prayer that the Holy Spirit takes this complex thing, makes it simple for all of us. But I want to say on the onset that as I was preparing for this message today, I did not feel that I had adequate time to share with you everything that the Lord laid on my heart. And so the solution is that if you'd like to know more and you'd like to go deeper, the month of November, our podcast is going to be on this topic of spiritual warfare. So if you're learning today something that you have more questions than answers, we got you. We're going to do the best we can to put that out there this month, next month. Let me also say that no matter what your stance is, tomorrow is a holiday in the United States. And no matter if your stance is that is an evil thing and we shouldn't even say the word Halloween, or if your stance is that it is originally a Christian holiday called All Hallowed Eve, or maybe you don't have a stance at all. You're just like, hey man, I eat candy, what's up? (laughs) At the end of the day, I do want to give you something and this information you need to be aware of that tomorrow is a day where the spirit realm is way more active than it is on a normal given day. Tomorrow is a day when there's a celebration of death and darkness. And let me remind you that we are people of the light. We serve the Lord Jesus. We are people of life. Ain't no grave. Amen. And I'm not saying that to make you feel guilty of one thing or another. As a matter of fact, I saw a social media post where they interviewed some pastors. And these pastors were asked the question, do you celebrate Halloween at your church? And first of all, the Baptist pastor said, oh, no, no, no. We don't celebrate Halloween at our church. We have a festival on that day where people are allowed to dress up in Bible characters and get candy around at the stations. Then it went on to the Presbyterian pastor who said, oh, no, 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 we don't celebrate Halloween. However, we have children come in from uh, the community and they're able to dress up and they walk around to the trunks of different cars and get candy. And then finally, the non-denominational pastor says, no, we, we don't celebrate Halloween. We have a Christian haunted house to show everybody what will happen when they go to hell. (laughs) Can I just tell you, church people are good at finding reasons to fight. But let me also say this with boldness. I want to put on notice that any force or worker of the darkness in the room today, your voice is silenced in Jesus' name. You cannot and will not cloud the mind of, every, of any person in here. They will hear the word of God, and they will take it into their spirit, and they will be changed in Jesus' name. Most Christians don't have a great understanding of spiritual warfare. Many Christians do what the ostrich does, the old cartoon ostrich that pokes his head in the sand. I don't want to know. If I don't know, it won't hurt me. But can I just tell you that if you are in this world 
There are two realities that coexist. There is what you see and then there is what you do not see. There is a spiritual realm and there is a physical realm and they're both equally real. Most of our understanding in church life of spiritual warfare comes from Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all, the, all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are fighting against, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Verse 13, therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth, the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on the sal salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, the mistake that many churches today make, in my opinion, is they stop there and the armor of God is complete. But you cannot put on the whole armor of God without verse 18. You see, there's power in verse 18. Pray in the Spirit at all times. On every occasion, stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. The mistake of the Christian sometimes is that they get dressed up in the armor of God, truth, righteousness, salvation, faith, and sit down. What good is a soldier that stays in the tent? The whole point of the armor of God is that we can go and take ground. And the praying in the Spirit is the part that empowers us to do just that. Pastor, you saying praying in tongues? No, I'm saying pray in the direction of the Holy Spirit. It could be in tongues. It could be in English. could be in Spanish. could be in Hindi. We have our Nepali congregation, our Spanish congregation in here with us today. But at the end of the day, friends, there's something to understand. That when you signed up, to become a follower of Jesus, you didn't just make him king, you made him your general. There is a warfare that you signed up for. Recently, I learned that in World War I, the strategy was to throw as many people as you could at the, line, at the front lines. As a matter of fact, the Western Front in World War I, where the Germans and the French would fight, they would throw thousands of people at each other in this trench warfare idea. It has been said that three million people died on that field and not any ground was taken either way. Can I tell you, church, we are not signing up to go out and die and never take ground. There is one who died in our place that took all of the ground that we could ever need, and his name is Jesus. All we have to do is walk in that victory, amen? 
It wasn't that long ago, a few weeks ago, that we were on the uh, university campus with the bridge, our young adult outreach, doing a worship night. My wife and I were there, and we were at this university campus doing a worship night, and a young man rushes through the field in which we were. Angry, obviously, sporadic, almost chaotic. Walks through, and then he's gone. It wasn't that much longer that he came back through again, except this time he grabbed a blanket that was there for people to sit on and thrashed it about and kept walking. My wife and I were standing in the back and we looked at each other and she recognized immediately that that's demonic. I agreed with her. That poor young man was under incredible pain and influence by the enemy. However, there had been a line drawn that he could not come close to the platform, close to the stage, close to the worshipers, because God Almighty, the great I am, was protecting it. The spirit realm was very real. The second example is my mother called me over, and she said, listen, I woke up in the middle of the night the other night, and I heard a voice almost audibly that said, follow me. She woke up with a start, and she said, I will not follow you. I follow Jesus Christ and him alone. She recognized immediately that it was the enemy. She was walking through her home on another occasion, and she felt a chill. You see, many of us would think, man, the air condition's on, and that might be the case. But she felt a chill, and she recognized it as spiritual. She stopped in her tracks, and she said, no, no, this is Jesus' house. <laughs> you do not have any authority here. She hasn't experienced that since. See, I went over there to help her, but it sounds like she already took care of business. Some of these things may sound a little scary or a little foreign to you, and that's because we have not been educated on spiritual warfare. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Can I tell you, when you read lies in the media, of which there are many, when you read a news story or you hear a story on the news and you think that's just a lie, that's a lie, that's a lie, who is the father of lies? It is Satan himself. We must operate in discernment. So today is more of a teaching as opposed to a preaching where I hoot and holler and do backflips. You'll have to come back another time to see that. But I want you to take notes and I want you to lean into this message. My hope and my prayer is that this is an opportunity for all of us to be aware of what really goes on in the spirit. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we already have the victory in you. Now, Holy Spirit, give us wisdom. Open our hearts. Show us. Show us the truth that is in the word of God in regards to this topic. In Jesus' name, amen. First of all, let's talk about the structure of the spirit realm. The structure of the spirit realm. Let's talk about the players. Who is in that spirit realm? First of all, we find in Genesis chapter 6, the first that is mentioned there, with exception of the serpent in the Garden of Eden, which I'll talk about in just a moment. Fallen angels, Genesis chapter 6, beginning in verse 1 says, Then the people began to multiply on the earth. 
and daughters were born to them. The sons of God, fallen angels, saw the beautiful women, took any that they wanted as their wives. Then the Lord said, my spirit will not put up with humans for such a long time. They are only mortal flesh. In the future, their normal lifespan will be 120 years. In that passage we just read, we have already seen a differentiation between you and I and a fallen angel. A fallen angel in this passage has a physical body, is physical in nature, yet is a spirit being. In verse 4 it says, In those days and sometimes after, giant Nephilites lived on the earth. For whenever the sons of God had intercourse with women, they gave birth to children who became heroes and famous warriors of ancient times. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. Why? Because fallen angels, components of the kingdom of darkness, had now... perverted God's creation. The DNA of humanity had literally been changed. You don't mess around with what God makes. When he makes it in Genesis, we see he made, he made mankind and it was good. And then he made Eve and Adam in the garden and put them there and he said it was very good. And yet the devil has been trying since the beginning of time as we know it to take what God makes and manipulate it, change it, to become something foreign from what God's original intent was. So we find here fallen angels. Secondly, the other players are the demons. Demons are primarily spiritual in nature. They attach themselves to sin, sickness, and bondage. Mark chapter 9 verse 25 says, When Jesus saw the crowd of onlookers was looking, he rebuked the evil spirit, the demon. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak. He said, I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Now, Jesus identified this demon, this spirit, this evil spirit, by what they were doing, by their attribute. He was attaching the mute and deaf to the spirit. You see that? Now, here's the thing. The church, I believe, in some Pentecostal circles has moved too far away from that because now everything that goes wrong in our life is attached to some demon. Can I just tell you? Sometimes it's demonic. Sometimes it's just you. You know, you can't blame the devil for stupid. You can try, but that's just stupid. <laughs> but really, we have said, well, all of these things that are going wrong in our life, we attach and we blame the devil, but sometimes we need to take a step back and say, God, if I'm not living how you've instructed me to live according to your word, then maybe it's me. However, there is room in the scriptures that a demon will attach itself to a sickness, to an attribute, or to something that is going wrong, bondage. So, pastor, are you saying there is a demon of addiction? Yeah. But I'm also saying you might be addicted because you keep doing the same thing. And you don't want to be free. The thirdly, we go into the other side of the spectrum of the players in the structure of the spirit realm. The archangels. The archangels. There are three mentioned in Scripture. First of all, Michael. 
Michael is the fighting angel, the warrior angel. Michael is the one who shows up. He's the leader of God's armies who shows up when there's a fight to be had and he wins. The second angel that's mentioned is Gabriel. Gabriel is the messenger angel. When you read the Christmas story, when you read the book of Daniel, you find Gabriel bringing the message. As a matter of fact, you can look at Daniel and find Michael who comes to help Gabriel fight so Gabriel can go take the message. They have jobs to do that they've been designated. The third archangel mentioned in Scripture is Lucifer himself, Satan. I'm going to call him the archangel because in Ezekiel chapter 28, we see this description of him. It says, you were there in the garden. It says, your appearance was as all of these jewels, and it lists all of these jewels. It says in the King James Version, it uses the word, you have a harp within your body. When we find these things, we find very artsy type of things within Satan himself. The scripture lays out that he was one of the most beautiful things that had ever been created. But here's the deal. Where'd he go wrong? He wanted to be like God. Can't nobody be like God but God. Where did Adam and Eve go wrong? They wanted to be like God. Can't nobody be like God but God. And at the end of the day, this third archangel, let's think about it. Where do we find in our culture today, where do we find much of the evil in our society? It's in the arts. Uh, that's my assessment. It, it, I mean, you could say Hollywood, but it's beyond that. It, th there are musicians that are now openly saying, I'm a witch, and, and celebrating it. So the demonic has taken hold in the arts. What do the people of God do? Well, there was uh, an approach in the early 1900s where churches would take all of the instruments off of the stage. Oh, we don't want to, be, we don't want to deal with any of those things because they're evil. The instrument is not evil. This is a beautiful keyboard. It is not evil. But evil can be used through that instrument. What we do, we're going to redeem the arts. Amen? Because God is the creator of it all. And let me always also say, I don't think the devil gets October 31st either. It's just a day that God created. It's all his. Amen? The fourth in the players is the Holy Spirit himself. The Spirit of God and the believer. You see, many times we say the believer partners with the, uh, the Holy Spirit partners with us, but what we should be saying is we partner with the Holy Spirit. We work for him. Is that fair? He leads us. We don't lead him. Many times we find ourselves in tough situations that turn around, Holy Spirit, where you at? No, I didn't tell you to go there. <laughs> I'm over here where I told you to go. <laughs> right? We partner with the Holy Spirit in spiritual warfare. In Luke chapter 9, we see that this authority, this partnership is present when Jesus called the 12 disciples. Luke chapter 9, verse 1, he called together the disciples and gave them power and authority to cast out all demons and all diseases. What he was doing was giving them the power of the Holy Spirit to go and do these works. Luke 10, 17, 
72 disciples were sent out and they came back and said, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name by the power of the Spirit. We fast forward to the book of Acts, which is a picture of the modern day church. They operated in the power of the Holy Spirit. The fourth player and by far the most important, last but certainly not least, is the Holy Spirit and the believer. Incredibly important in spiritual warfare. Another part of the structure of the spirit realm is the principles of the spirit realm. Did you know that demonic spirits are territorial? Mark chapter 5, we see an example of this. I'll just read uh, one verse. Then the, then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. This is the story where Jesus gave permission to these demons to go into the pigs. Matthew chapter 12, verse 43. As Jesus is telling about spiritual nature, spirit realm, spiritual warfare, he says, when an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert seeking rest but finding none. Why? Because that spirit has now been relegated to the wilderness. There is no place that it is attached to. Another passage is in the book of Daniel when we find the prince of Persia, which is a demonic spirit that was leading in that area. If you dig in, you'll find that many of the ancient kings had a spiritual entity attached to them. <laughs> the second principle of the spiritual warfare of the structure is dominion. This may or may not shock you, but mankind gave up dominion over the earth when they chose to sin against God. You see, early in the book of Genesis, we see God giving dominion to Adam and Eve. Take dominion. Well, when they sinned, they gave dominion to Satan. The scripture is in 1 John 5, 19. We know that we are children of God and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is, good, it is hidden only from the people who are perishing. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. He does have dominion here, but he does not have victory over the child of God. Amen? So basically what it boils down to is, yes, we're in enemy territory, but we're still victorious. We are more than conquerors. Amen? Picture, if you would, an indestructible bubble around you on the battlefield. You are covered by the blood of Jesus and the power of his spirit. The third thing to discuss is the authority that we have. The devil may have dominion, which means people that do not choose to follow Jesus, the devil can do whatever he wants with them. Did you know that demons can possess animals? I just shared with you about the pigs in Mark chapter 5. Let's go think about the serpent in the Garden of Eden. The serpent was used and manipulated, possessed in essence, by Satan himself. Sometimes we think that the devil was in the Garden of Eden. Yes, spiritually, yes. But the scriptures don't say the devil came to Eve. It says a serpent came to Eve. Did you know that? However, we know from other passages that that was the manipulation, possession, spiritually, of that serpent. 
However, we have the authority. Matthew 28, 18, Jesus said, I have been given all authority in heaven and earth. He gives us that authority, friends. Ephesians 1, 19 through 23. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power. For us who believe him, this is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and, is, and seated him in the place of honor in God's right hand in heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. I think the scripture's pretty comprehensive with that assessment. Nothing or no one takes precedence over Jesus Christ. And we are agents of his authority by the power of the Spirit. Verse 21, I mean verse 22. God has put all things under the authority of Christ. Here it is, guys. And has made him head over all things for the benefits of the church. Where are we at? What are we? Church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Can we just be reminded today and be thankful in this moment that we, as a part of the body of Christ, have all the authority that Jesus has and can walk in it. Why? Because he's given us that spirit, that very same spirit that raised him from the dead. Amen? This is not a message where we're to be fearful. If anything, this is a message for us to be motivated to take some ground. Number two, let's talk about taking ground. Fighting in the spirit realm. Fighting in the spirit realm. In order to bring understanding to the fight, we have to look at Scripture, the Old Testament, where God would give strategies to the Israelites on how to win victories. God was always involved in every victory. And the strategy was different from battle to battle. With this illustration, let's take the three weapons of warfare that God would tell them to use. First of all, the arrow. Anybody ever shot an arrow at camp? Take some skill, right? The arrow in ancient times is the way that they would take the city. It's a long distance weapon. It was strategic. It was for a mass attack. It would soften the enemy to take ground. A great example of this in spiritual warfare would be like citywide crusades. It would be like uh, prayer walks or prayer marches. As a matter of fact, our own prayer team would, did a strategic prayer walk last night. They felt something in the spirit and they showed up and they prayed last night. Scheduled at the last minute. I'm thankful they did. I believe spiritual battles were won. That we'll realize in the physical. Another example is a ministry called Love Life, where for years people have been marching at Planned Parenthood in Charlotte. And did you know for years they have been saving babies and babies and babies and babies because of prayer and spiritual warfare? Secondly, let's look at the, the spear. The spear is a weapon used to close the circle. The Roman army in ancient times would back up to one another where their backs would face each other, and they would use a spear to close the circle. They won many, many victories by doing it this way. It's a weapon that could be used for long or short battle in the sense of the combat, combat. The spear was a lethal weapon. You did not use it if you weren't trying to kill something. It wasn't a warning. There are no blanks to put in a spear. Now, here's the important thing. 
the spear, there are times when we as a believer know the issue without a doubt and are called of God, power empowered by the Spirit to fight to expect a specific outcome, victory. The problem is, sometimes we even know what to do, how to do it, and what the fight is, yet we stay sitting in our tent wearing an armor of God, completely ineffective in spiritual warfare. The spear gives instant forward motion. Instant forward motion. Can I tell you, this preacher is fed up with the church standing still. Every day, the devil and all of his demons are fighting to take ground. Every day, we should be fighting equally as hard, if not more so. Every day, we should be taking even more ground than he is. Every day, we should be winning more battles than he is. Every day, the fear of God Almighty should be in the demons that are in our neighborhoods because we have come to fight. Finally, the sword. The sword is used to protect those closest to you. The sword is the most precise and effective weapon in the fight. The sword is mentioned in the armor of God as the word of God. The sword is to be yielded right away from the, uh, from the child of God in spiritual warfare. Jesus, who was the word of God, used the word of God to defeat the devil in the wilderness. And if it's good enough for him, it's good enough for me and you. Here's the problem. Most of us take our sword and we hang it on the wall. It's beautiful, isn't it? Have you seen my sword? And if we ever take it down, we leave it in the sheath. I mean, you know, I might be able to hit somebody upside the head with this. It's pretty heavy, but it's not going to do much damage other than make them mad. Can I tell you that some of us need to learn how to use this thing? Some of us need to stop leaving this on the shelf. Some of us need to sharpen it. And some of us need to be able to be trained into using that sword. Man, that thing is really cool. Here's the thing. I've always admired ninjas. I always have, since a kid. My favorite G.I. Joe was Snake Eyes because he, he was a ninja, right? Did you know in ancient times, homes would be built in occupied Japanese and they would actually literally make the floors creak because of ninjas so they could hear them? What does that have to do with anything? I'll tell you. Ninjas are trained killers. And they don't just, they're not just born that way. They have to go through training. They have to learn how to use the weapons of warfare. And they become effective and they strike fear in the enemy. One ninja can make a whole uh, regiment of an army super scared. I'm gonna tell you, can, can we just shift the narrative in the spirit realm? Can we just get to a place where we know how to use our sword? We know this word of God. We actually crack it open from time to time. We read it from time to time. It's in our spirit and we begin to know. Now, can we strike fear in the enemy instead of being fearful of him? Let me tell you something. I would never pick a fight with a ninja. 
Well, the, dev- the devil's picking on me, Pastor. Maybe you need to learn how to use your sword. I mean, anybody? I, things are just, things are hard. You, <laughs> you have the weapon. You, that's, it's so sharp. It splits between soul and spirit. You kill that thing where it stands and protect your family, protect your life, fight in the spirit. Jesus, help us. I, I never, I've read through the scriptures and I, every time Jesus encountered a demon, I never, I never saw him kind of, oh, oh, maybe, maybe I'll go around that one. No. Even the Roman legion, even the Roman guards that came to drag him out that night, when they came to the Garden of Gethsemane and they were looking for Jesus and, and they said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth and Jesus said, I am he. You know what the Bible says? They all fell backwards because there's power in Jesus. You see, the realities of the spirit realm is where I'm finishing. The war has been won yet the battles are still waged. It is so much better to fight battles knowing the war has already been won. Today I'm playing in a three-on-three basketball tournament. And I know I'm going to win. That's why each game is going to be easy for me. I have told my son, and I've even told some of the people that play with me, I believe that the Lord gives us a pass to brag when it comes to sports. That's not really prideful. That's part of the game, right? You with me? Anybody agree? Well, come out there and talk to me about it. Sorry. The realities of the spirit realm, the war has been won, yet the battle still waged. And secondly, guys, listen to me right now. We got to choose a side. You got to. There is no neutral. We're all in it. Luke chapter 10, verse 16, Jesus said to his disciples, anyone who accepts your message is also accepting me. Anyone who rejects you is rejecting me. Anyone who rejects me is rejecting God who sent me. Matthew 12, 30, anyone who isn't with me opposes me. Anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. There is no neutral in spiritual warfare. We are either on God's side or we are opposing the God of the universe. And friend, that is not a position I want anybody in this room to be in. You will lose that battle every time. Spiritual battles will have physical effects. When you win in the spirit, I guarantee you, you will see something in the physical realm because you've won in the spirit. If you are a follower of Jesus, hear me now. There is no demon and no curse that has any power over you unless you allow it to. You have to give permission. For that attack to win. And you have the authority in the spirit to say, I will not. For me, 
for my family, as Joshua said, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen? So tomorrow, let's go to war. <laughs> let's fight something. Let's win. I want Greater Life Church to be such a beacon of warriors. Such a, I want this thing to be an armory in the spirit realm. We walk out yielding our, our swords and praying and seeking that God can use us to win battles. Can I tell you something? There are so many POWs in the spirit out there that the devil has in bondage and confused and, and, and totally darkened to his message. You and I can be the spiritual Rambos of that equation and go down into that spiritual uh, POW camp and set some captives free because Jesus already did it. Now we just have to walk in it, amen? Let me pray for you. Before I pray, I wanna tell you two things. Number one, if you have not received the Lord Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, do so. Our prayer team will be here to pray with you. They're just, they'll be hanging out right up here after the service. I encourage you, come up here. Receive. Receive the salvation that comes through Christ alone. Secondly, you may have been battling on your own for a long time. On Sunday nights at 7 o'clock, we have intercessory prayer where a prayer team comes together praying for you. And whether you call it divine healing, whether you call it inner healing, whether you call it deliverance, whatever you call it, it's a spiritual battle that maybe you've been facing and you have not been able to get victory over it. There are warriors in the house that can stand with you and win that victory. Amen? So I want to encourage you. If you want prayer, they're here to pray with you. Bow your heads with me. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word, for this spiritual warfare message. I pray, God, as we pack, unpack these things in our own hearts, that you would give us the realization that victory comes from you and that we have that authority and we can walk in that authority in the mighty name of Jesus, amen and amen.